Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's happening, everybody? Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? So, this week, we're going to do something a little different. It's kind of like one of our book clubs, but... I'm going to be honest with you guys, we were we were kind of up in the air about what to do this week, and originally we were going to do the manga Ryuko. Uh, it was something Ryuko. that... Ryuko, whatever. It was something <laughs> that we both had access to, and we decided to, uh, you know, we, we thought we'd, we'd give it a shot just because uh, it would be something that we could check out and, and discuss. Quite frankly... It's not something that we had a lot to say about after the fact. You know, we'll try our best with it, but we were able to find uh, an avenue into it via another book that we both happened to have read recently, which was I Am Not Starfire. Although they both seem to be pretty different books, we, we thought upon conversing with each other that there are some overlapping ideas and themes uh, that we think we could explore between these two books so that's what we're gonna try to do today drew do you want to go into ryuko a little bit sure so let's uh go ahead and introduce the two books that we're gonna talk about today so the first one is ryuko by eldo yoshimizu originally published in 2016 and we're reading the english translation from titan comics and hard case crime that came out in 2019 it's a two-volume manga it's not very long Eldo Yoshimizu uh, is an internationally renowned fine artist Uh, and I mean he's a fine artist in the sense that that's what he's known for not that he's just an okay artist or anything like he's he's into uh, I thought you meant he was a fine artist in that he had a hot butt uh he might I've never seen a photo of his butt so okay. he okay. could be fine in that sense also. He could have been a foin artist. Yeah. Yeah, is that is that how kids today talk, Albert? Uh I presume that that was how kids 20 years ago talked. Okay, okay. I'll take your word for it. I can't say that I've ever called anybody foin, but uh I'll, I'll really? try to never? get used to it. Never, man, never. You were never like look at look at that. They foin. They are I've thick. Ne- I, I have never said that sentence. <laughs> I've never thought that sentence. How about they fat? P-H-A-T. Pretty hot. I definitely tempting. said that. Really? See? Heck yeah, you got your finger on the pulse, dude. You got your okay. finger on the pulse, in the pulse, fingering the pulse, all up in the pulse. You are pulsing. I'm down with the youth. Yeah. So Eldo Yoshimizu, he's known for his sculpting work. If you go to his website, you can see a pretty good biography or, you know, a list of his accomplishments. And he's had exhibits across uh, various countries throughout the entire world. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty well respected in, in that field. Ryuko is his first manga. Uh, according to some research on his website, this is a character that he created in some of his paintings and I guess eventually he decided to do a story about her. That's where this character Ryuko came from. And just as a brief synopsis of what the manga is about, it's about a woman named Ryuko who is the leader of 
a branch of the Yakuza. I would say just to simplify things and summarize it briefly, she goes on a on a quest for revenge and the people in her life get embroiled in it to various degrees and you get to see how this I guess this cycle of violence play out in their lives and and how their morality affects them. So that that's that's Ryuko. The other book that we're going to discuss today is I Am Not Starfire, which is a DC graphic novel for young adults. It's part of their YA line. This one was published in 2021. It's written by Mariko Tamaki, drawn by Yoshi Yoshitani, and lettered by Aditya Bidikar. I Am Not Starfire is about the daughter of Starfire from the Teen Titans. So it takes the uh, the character Starfire imagines a future where she's an adult with a teenage daughter who's about to graduate high school and her daughter's name is Mandy and Mandy is absolutely nothing like Starfire whereas mm-hmm. Starfire is this beautiful alien with powers who can fly and shoot energy blasts Mandy is kind of short and stubby she doesn't have any powers. She's embarrassed of being the daughter of a famous superhero. She really wants nothing to do with anything related to Starfire. It's basically a kind of this coming of age story where she learns how to come to terms with everything about herself and about her family, about her mother. Anything you want to add to either of those summaries, Albert? No, no. I, I think they pretty much sum up everything that those two books are about um like we'll probably go into greater detail uh later when we do the i guess you'd call it a cross-examination of the two but mm-hmm. but yeah uh that's that's a pretty accurate description uh, synopses i'd say okay cool you want to give a brief spoiler free review of each book yeah let's start with ryoko uh yeah, uh, if I had to say it's you, you mentioned that the creator earlier uh, came from a fine art background, and I, I definitely think that that shows. It's it's a very stylized book. It's um, I, I I'd probably go 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 ahead. What yeah, I was say? gonna say I would I would say this book stands out mainly for the, for its art. The the story is pretty incoherent, to be honest. Yeah, um, it's it's probably the the main thing that I could probably say about it, or that that I could call attention to for it is definitely just the art and the visual style of it. Um, we prior to the podcast, you sent me uh, an interview where he talked about some of his influences and. Uh, you know, he, he mentioned that he was into some, uh, 60s crime, uh, films, you know, these films that I had never heard of, but I definitely could see French 60s films. Oh, French 60s films. Right. Yeah. And I could definitely, because what's more pretentious and avant-garde than that? I mean, he's got a fine art background, right? (laughs) Right. But I could definitely see those influences in the comic at least you know whatever version of those influences my mind could grasp i could see in those comics like there's 
there's a point in the comic where she's just straight up in a cat suit fighting fighting gangsters you know <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i mean the funny thing is even though uh he's there there's a sense of pretense in the book uh i i'd say that the plot itself i i don't even know if i thought it was incoherent i just thought it was I, I didn't think it was a pretentious plot. I mean, it just felt like all he wanted to do was tell an action story where he could showcase his art. Like, I really didn't feel like it had really much anything to say about it. I didn't. He might have had some stuff to say about international politics. Um, but if he did have something to say about it, it didn't really feel like it was anything meaningful um i i I did so i mentioned earlier that the art style uh he mentions uh that the art style was influenced by 1960s french uh art films and i was kind of surprised to find out that the book itself was what made in 2016 you said Mm -hmm. yeah because uh it really did feel like just at a glance it felt like it was something older you know uh it kind of reminded me of even some of the old tezuka stuff uh or stuff from that period it certainly doesn't look like a lot of current popular shonen manga yeah uh it it don't remind me of naruto yeah i don't think she did a naruto run at any point What about you, Drew? What'd you think of it? I didn't really like Ryuko either. I think it was something that was a bit too incoherent for me. Like I actually did have trouble following the plot. I had trouble I had trouble understanding what was going on on certain pages, to be honest. Like Yeah. There would be pages that I would have to examine and really put thought into understanding just to comprehend what was happening on a sequential level so i think there are some instances when that kind of mental activity is good in a comic and i i can appreciate it but there are also times when if that happens i i think there's just a failure in storytelling and i'd probably say this is the latter yeah like in terms of the former, like one of the things that would come to mind would be something like, I don't know, like the period when Chris Bucklow was trying more experimental art in something like steampunk. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. his art there was, wasn't like the clearest art, but I thought it was just clear enough that I could still follow the story, but it was strange enough and challenging enough that I'd still have to slow down and force my mind to analyze each page yeah however with ryuko i felt like there were for the i think most of the time i was able to see what was going on but there are definitely certain moments and i think uh they tended to be like pivotal moments in the story when things just i just got confused as to what i was looking at um yeah he, he does do some pretty interesting layouts with his art like there are some action scenes where he won't use panel borders and he'll just draw like a close up of a hand holding a a pistol or something and then 
like just surrounding that hand, you'll see bits of action. I guess it's to imply, you know, the speed of of everything that's going on. And yeah, I think that's interesting. But at the same time, if if you're trying to make it feel like it's fast paced, it's the fact that I have to slow down to understand what I'm looking at. That there's something uh, incongruous about that is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I, if I had to be completely transparent, uh, so you started reading this before me, and you kind of gave me a warning about it. <laughs> so I think I told I you. Went in, you sure you want to read this, Albert? I don't think you're gonna like this. <laughs> well, I mean that's the thing. So. Uh, once you kind of set my expectations for what it was that we were going to read, I, uh, I think my natural instincts came in, kicked in and above all else, I'm pretty lazy. So I think as I was reading it, I didn't even try to really comprehend it. Like I just powered through reading it and. When I got through something or to a point where I didn't really understand what was going on, I didn't want to put myself through the mental gymnastics of trying to understand it. So <laughs> I just I read the actual words. I looked at the pictures and then I just moved on just to move <laughs> on, you know. So that sounds like me you know, in my English classes when I was in college. Really? <laughs> yeah, man. Sometimes you read a bunch of stuff that you just don't want to read, but you have to read it. So, you know, yeah. you, your eyes glaze over every single word on the page, and you can say you literally you read the book. Technically read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as retention and understanding goes, that's uh, yeah. pretty questionable. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. Like in a class setting, um, you know, you've got so much work to do and so much other things to work on. it's just about cost benefit analysis at some point. And it's like, look, I could spend the next 20 or 30 minutes trying to understand this one scene, or I could just move on to the next thing and try Mm -hmm. to milk what I can of the stuff that I do understand. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's a peek behind the curtain of how my mind works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I give a, a confession on the air for all of our listeners? Sure, go. Okay, I, I think part of the reason why I told you that, uh, or I warned you that you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't like the book was part of me was hoping that you'd say, let's not read it for this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the sucky thing about that was, though. What? So you read it before I did, and I, I mentioned at the top of the episode, we were already kind of, we we, we had stuff planned out for the weeks following this week, um, but for this particular week, we didn't really quite have anything yet. So mm-hmm. when you had told, you know, once you told me you had read it already, I one, I was like, well, we're already kind of committed to this, so... There's that. And two, like having already spent the energy to read it, I was like, I don't really want to waste that effort. Like, we'll try our best to do with it what we can. And yeah, I, again, like we I mentioned earlier, it 
in my initial reading of it, I really didn't feel like there was much that I could say about it. I, I didn't feel like there was much that I could contribute to any conversation with you about it. In fact, I was probably hoping that you would probably be able to open those doors for me more than I was for you. But That's a heavy burden to bear, and I'm not capable of it, Albert. Well, yeah, yeah. But fortunately, I do think we were able to find a way into it. Uh, I do think there was something uh, metatextually that we could explore about it. So it, it's mm-hmm. it's not an impossible task. Yeah, yeah. I mean... We've definitely had a lot to say about nothing on previous episodes of our podcast, so this should be a cinch. Uh, but we've had a lot of nothing to say about things that I'm I'm pretty confident we at least liked it on some level, or you know. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this, Albert: is is Ryuko the worst comic that you've had to read for our podcast? Uh, okay, see, so here's the another behind the peaks, behind the scenes sort of uh, a bit of knowledge. Um, okay, I'm not going to name the book because we'll probably end up discussing it in a future episode for uh, our dishonorable mention for <laughs> top 25 DC or for the top 25 DC comics. So, uh... There, there is something that I read that was just substantially more painful to read than this. Like this, this was kind of mindless. And I think once you prepped me for it, and I just kind of turned off my brain and just made it a thing of I'm just gonna read the words. <laughs> like <laughs> I was fine with that, you know. Like it wasn't painful. But we've read some stuff that was painful. I've Dude, read you, some you stuff sound that like, was painful. You sound like you're one of those uh, ninjas who gets captured by the enemy and then gets tortured. But using your ninjutsu powers, <laughs> you're able to transport your mind somewhere else while people are doing stuff to your body. So <laughs> that's, that's what it sounds like. Sometimes you have to for these books, man. Like There are certain things that are just rough enough where it's just like, I have to disassociate my the part of me that still feels any pain from my actual physical body. (laughs) So (laughs) like, if it just means that I have to have an out of body experience while I'm reading this, while they're just like beating me senseless, (laughs) they're just clubbing me with sticks and pinching me in my nipples or whatever. (laughs) Like (laughs) if that's what you got to do to survive, that's what you got to do to survive, man. Okay. Here's here's another question, uh-huh. like along the same lines. So we read this. It's pretty obvious that we don't have a lot of great things to say about it. We might not even have much of anything to say about it. But come on, we read the death of Superman. Yeah, that Do was definitely think... worse. It was definitely a worse comic, but we certainly had more to say. And I think we had a lot of fun roasting that comic. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, so... As, as far as as, roast, as far as roasting Ryuko goes, I, I don't think I would say I take pleasure in telling exactly. people that I didn't like this comic. Yeah, like, I don't... 
there's probably an element of it where this book isn't it's not beloved by people we hate so (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's part of the fun of roasting something like uh the death of superman like there are they're just chumps out there who love that and yeah there's something satisfying about denigrating those people (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i want them to feel two inches tall and then I want to step on him. <laughs> the thing with Ryuko is that the artwork is what initially drew my attention because I had seen the cover of the book at a comic book store and then uh, I ended up uh, getting my own copy of it because mm-hmm. of the cover. And I, you know, just flipping through the, the comic at, at the store, um, like if I if I were to just look at a random page of of the manga, the each pretty much every random page looks good. Like the drawing is is excellent, man. Like he does so many uh, just like really good, really attractive, appealing drawings. If you're just looking at it from a purely visual perspective, I'm not yeah. talking about the the storytelling. I'm yeah. just talking about the quality of his line work, the just the different styles that he integrates into his his drawing. Like there are some pages that have a lot of cross hatching. There are some pages where he uses negative space. There are other pages where he draws kind of this more uh, ornate uh, abstract style in in the backgrounds, and other pages that are a lot more realistic. Yeah. Just the way he draws people is always very well done. The yeah, vehicles and the settings are people. detailed. What's that? He draws very attractive people. Yeah, yeah. So his drawing ability is incredible. And mm-hmm. I think that's what that's what drew me to the book. But yeah. uh, it's, it's just a situation where we're not just looking at a single page of art here. You know, it's if... if if we're looking at a comic, we're trying to understand a story too. And I think that's where, um, I I think I would say that's where his weakness is. Yeah. And and maybe it's because this is his first manga. As far as I, as far as I can tell, this is his first work in, in this medium. So it's different from a lot of the things that I imagine he would typically do as a fine artist, you know, usually, drawing something or painting something or sculpting something that's a single image right like that one image tells the story when you just look at it and you take it all in but when you're doing sequential art especially when you're doing a story that takes over what like over 450 pages or so yeah you've got to be coherent and i think as somebody who reads a lot of comics you can we can kind of tell when a story's when when a, an artist has trouble telling a really coherent story because that's when we can't if we can't understand the story then then I feel like that's probably it could be on us just being idiots but I think in this case it's it's not that we're too stupid to understand it I I think it's it really is that the the style of his storytelling is just either different enough or just 
inexperienced to the point where uh, it slows down our ability to understand and that really hampered our enjoyment of yeah. the manga as a whole. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty true. It's just... I wouldn't... I'm not even going to make it sound like I'm smarter than I actually am. I don't think I'm especially smart, but... You ain't no I dummy, feel... though, man. You don't like Death of Superman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say I was brain dead. Um, <laughs> I didn't just awaken from a coma, and that was, like, the first comic that they had given me after being in a coma since I was 13 or something. Like, <laughs> But I would say that, you know, having a limited understanding of... Uh, of how of of how smart I actually am, you know. I I would think I would like to think that whatever I read would be able to at least appeal to me on on a really basic level. And it doesn't. Yeah, it, you're you, you made the point that if this was like a singular piece of art, that'd be one thing. I could appreciate that piece of art. Yeah, like on a its random own, page. Right? Like if we took yeah. a random page and just framed it, that would be awesome to look at. Yeah. But comics as a medium is inclusive of a lot of different elements. It's sequential storytelling, and it's about that ability. So there's the 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 way that sequential sto- storytelling is communicated within the art, but then there's also how the story itself is communicated. And you know, we we had complications with certain parts of the art. Uh, you know, moving from uh, some scenes where we had confusion telling exactly what we were looking at. And on top of that, even just in terms of broad brush strokes of what the story was about, even though I personally don't think that the story was anything overly complicated or Mm -hmm. uh, substantive, like even on a really basic level, it wasn't a very gripping or interesting story like it's it's basically just about it's just about this young woman who's uh you know a gangster having uh international adventures like that's that's the real stripped down version of it but they just weren't adventures that i particularly cared about he didn't make me care about them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know yeah the only thing that I would somewhat slightly disagree with you there is that I actually did find uh, a lot of trouble following the plot. Like I, I, I it, it was something that that I thought was convoluted. I thought it yeah. was like overly complicated because I think looking at the back cover of the book, it basically summarizes the story in a way to make it sound like this uh, revenge story. You know, like this. Yeah. The main character is the leader of a of a yakuza group and she just goes on this quest for revenge but when you actually read the comic yeah that that's a small part of it but there are all these other players who are in the game and everybody's got uh there are all these different organizations and and people have these different allegiances mm. people mm. have all these complicated pasts and it, it's all just like thrown at you and then there's occasional uh excursions into flashbacks which again, is, is one of those things that can really slow down a narrative because then it just feels like he's giving us a flashback. So 
we can have the full backstory of this one character. But then after the flashback, it's an extended flashback, uh, you know, that lasts an entire chapter. And then you don't see that character uh, do very much in the present day story until, you know, much later on. It just it just feels so disjointed and confusing. And yeah. by the time uh, I finished the first volume, I was like, man, I, I really don't understand who's who, what's what, why are they doing what they're doing? When I opened up volume two and I saw at the beginning of the book, there was a summary of all the characters. I was like, okay, that that's coherent because somebody yeah. else, some <laughs> editor drew all the face or they, they put a picture of everybody's face and then somebody wrote a little description of each person. I'm like, okay, now, now I can kind of follow the story again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that it yeah it goes back to that thing that i was telling you where i th- i think even once they sort of began once they began to spell out what things were about by that point in the story they i i'm pretty sure they had lost me already so even if they had laid it out where all i had to do was a little bit of extra work to make sense of what it was that i was reading i just didn't care that much anymore at that point yeah yeah you know and, and you know that's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a very complicated story. I think more complicated than it needs to be, which makes it yeah, it's not hard complicated in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because if if they had just kept to the if if Yoshimizu had just kept to that premise of doing a, a revenge type of action story, it, yeah. it could have been a lot more straightforward and and easy to follow, right? But then. He doesn't do a straightforward story. He does a story that that's about a woman who's a yakuza boss, but the yak this yakuza group is based in the Middle East, and then yeah. uh, there's something about the Chinese mafia or or a triad or something. And yeah. and uh, that was the funny thing. I didn't even realize that there was like a yakuza working out of the Middle East until like way way later. <laughs> it's just like, oh. They actually operate out of the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's there's some stuff about uh, an Afghan operative and the U.S. gets in, U.S. government gets involved. It's It gets really confusing because there are so many players yeah. in, the, in the story and not, yeah. not everything gets a good amount of development. You just kind of have to take it on faith that everybody is doing something for a purpose and i i I guess you know kind of like what you were saying i I had trouble maintaining the interest to to really keep track of things yeah after a certain point i was really just reading it to appreciate the artwork but it it wasn't something where i felt that i need to reread it to to get something out of it you know to it wasn't, you know how sometimes you finish reading a comic and then you think, oh man, when I reread this, I'm going to get even more out of it because then I already know the plot and I can extract uh, all the details from it when I reread it. And the more I reread it, the more uh, enjoyment I can get out of it. You know, something yeah. like, You'll learn I don't something know, new like an Alan time. Moore comic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, then like with with this, I would say I I could see some of the themes that he was trying to to uh, play up in in his work, but they weren't really things that resonated with me or things that made me, 
I didn't really feel super motivated to to reread this anytime ever. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. one of the big things, big themes in the story is uh, being a daughter because Ryuko uh, basically inherited the leadership uh, after she murdered her, her father. Yeah. Which I, I don't really know too much about the Yakuza. And so I don't know if that's like a, a, a Yakuza <laughs> trope. Like, do do daughters actually murder their fathers to take over the, the Yakuza branch? Uh, like, has I don't know. Is that something that's in, that's common in a bunch of other Yakuza stories? I have no idea. I like how you called it a branch because it makes it sound like they're the post office or something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, f- I figure they're a branch of the Yakuza because they're, they were based in the Middle East for some reason. Yeah, yeah. That that was another strange thing to me. Like I I didn't know that the that the Yakuza would have a, a foothold in that region. Well, that's the thing. I well I I'm I want to say that that's probably an embellishment. I I want to say that that's something that he put in because he thought it'd be cool to like show the organization having this global reach. Yeah. So, but I don't know if they would actually be in Afghanistan. I really don't. Yeah. I, I have my doubts. I have my doubts, but I'm I'm open minded enough. I also haven't enough. done any research. Yeah, I I haven't done any research either. But it's just it just sounds like something very like two very disparate things that you yeah. wouldn't naturally associate with each other. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think the other big theme that was in play here in this story was the idea of morality, because mm-hmm. the different characters, uh, I guess there's like they have some of them have wavering levels of convictions in terms of how far they're willing to go to to get or do what they want to do. So there's that, but again, it it was one of those things where because the story didn't grip me I, I wasn't really invested in thinking about the ideas that the story presented either yeah um, yeah what, what did, did you were there any themes or ideas in the story that stood out to you i would probably say even less so than you <laughs> okay. like i didn't even like i i didn't even think much of any of the thematic thematic content at all really i i really do feel like it was a story that he just wanted to tell because he just wanted to be able to showcase cool visual art and adventures yeah um i i was gonna tell this little story where i remember i was flipping through it and you know he he has her come out and he has her in all these, uh, you know, flashy outfits that are really stylish or whatever. And mm-hmm. then there are these, like, really uh, dynamic action scenes where, you know, people are shooting up a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so he does that stuff fine. Uh, that stuff is kind of cool to look at. Um, the, the one story I was going to tell was I did come upon one page where Ryoko was, like, doing this thing where she had two guns and she was 
I don't know how to describe it, but she was shooting between her legs, you know? <laughs> so so you really get, like, this just clear shot of, like, her taint and her butt and <laughs> her shooting between her legs. And I did marvel on that for maybe a little longer than I feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably okay. the, the extent of my... Uh, that, that, was a, that was a panel that resonated with you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That really made me feel something. <laughs> uh, just a prolonged shot of her taint. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, overall, I would, I, I don't think I would recommend Ryuko to anybody other than people who are really interested in looking at cool artwork. I mean, yeah. If, if, yeah, if you That's like to draw, to put it. yeah, if you like to draw, definitely if take a look. If you want to study like yeah. his art, then yeah, by all means, this is probably the way to do it. Uh, I would probably even recommend that you look, you know, check out the manga without actually reading it and just. You know, <laughs> just marvel at the art. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't know. Do you know anything about him? Has he written anything since? Yeah, he's done a couple other comic books, a uh, couple other manga since. One of them, yeah. I've already forgot what it was called, but I think somebody else wrote it and he he drew it. And then I, I think he's got another one after that that he wrote and drew himself. But do you yeah, I forget what they were called, and I, I don't know anything. I don't really know what they're about. Do you happen to know like what the critical consensus on these books are? and and you know, while we're on that, what the uh, what the popular consensus is? like did did this book reach anyone? is I guess what I'm asking? I don't really know because I haven't seen too many other people talking about it. Mm-hmm. Most of the reviews I've seen are uh, just on, you know, like random blogs online that uh, I'm not familiar with. Like that that one interview that I sent you from, uh, I guess, it, what is this called? Uh, but Why Though? I've, I've never actually uh, heard of it before, but... That was something that came up when I did a Google search. And it, it seemed like the person who did the interview enjoyed the series. Uh, there's a review that that they did. Uh, and this Again, I'm talking about But Why Though. That's what it's called. The But Why Though podcast. Mm, so I see, I see. Yeah, their, their website uh, has that little brief interview with Yoshimizu. And then... Uh, I guess there are a few reviews on Amazon, but nothing that was well written enough that made me take notice of it. It's just yeah. your typical uh, user reviews. Yeah. So yeah, I, and I don't remember reading any. Uh, I didn't come across any professional reviews of it. So yeah, the information on on what the consensus regarding his work is, uh, I, I I don't really have much to say about that. But I didn't. Yeah. I also have to say I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking all i really did was just google search for reviews i see i see yeah okay okay but it's I, not like i've ever heard anyone talk about it, him or or his manga before either like again the only reason that that uh, i knew about what this was was uh because i saw it at a store 
That's really yeah. the only reason. Like, I was looking at the manga section, and then Hard Case Crime. I'm I'm aware of Hard Case Crime because they they publish crime novels, uh, a good good amount of them. They've been doing it for shoot probably at least like 12, 15 years or so, and mm-hmm. I've I've gotten I've gotten and read a few of those myself. So I, I knew Hard Case Crime as a brand, and when I saw that they had a manga published, I was just intrigued by it. You know, like I wanted to find out what it was all about. So when I picked it yeah. up at the store, I just looked at the art and I looked at the synopsis on the back and it, it made it sound a little bit different from what we experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, yeah. I will say I, I would be very interested in hearing what other people think about this work. Like maybe, maybe there is something that, that I'm missing that I just need somebody who's smarter than me to really explain it to me you know like sometimes that happens and and sometimes i can read an essay or a critical review about something or even listen to a great podcast discussion about something that i had previously dismissed and uh through reading that essay or listening to that discussion it'll motivate me to to revisit the work and it'll give me a new angle or a different lens or perspective to to view the text yeah, we're we're open-minded enough where you know, given the right kind of uh, coaxing, we can we can reassess something for sure. Mm-hmm. You want to move on to? Yeah, I am not Starfire. You ready to move on to that? Yeah, let's go into that a little bit. Yeah. So, what's your uh, what's your spoiler-free review of I am not Starfire, Albert? So I I feel like it's worth mentioning before we go into it that this was a book that when it came out it got a lot of uh, a lot of incendiary hate you know it got a lot there of were, hate when it was announced before it exactly came. before it even came out there were people who were ready to just crap on this because they thought it was uh, another work that was. Um, you know that was pushing some sort of agenda. It was something that uh, SJW propaganda. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and I, I'd, I'd say that part of it being that I don't know if the people that were against it knew who Mariko Tamaki was, but I think just based on the optics of the book, which is, you know, them having. You you had this Starfire character, the traditionally classic Starfire character, which is uh, a pretty attractive alien woman and often scantily cladded, uh, mm-hmm. conventionally good-looking alien woman. Uh, juxtaposed Often sexualized again. in DC's artwork. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Her her outfit is usually basically just a swimsuit. yeah. Yeah, but the way that this story was told, because it was about her daughter, uh, the the image of her was juxtaposed against uh, the character of Mandy, which was just this kind of gothy-looking, uh, again, um, you know, a little more realistic with someone with a, a slightly more realistic body type. Well, totally more realistic body type, right? So mm-hmm. something, you know, the kind of person that you'd see out in the world, someone who with, you know, dyed hair, 
someone who doesn't try to dress to be attractive. So Mm -hmm. just based on those optics alone, the people that are constantly railing about comics, uh, you know, again, pushing some sort of agenda or trying to appeal to, I think they put it as weirdos or whatever. Um, They looked at that and again, without even having read it, without any other information other than just the, the optics of it, they were ready to hate that book. So (laughs) it was something that I think got, I want to say, what's that thing where they like bomb it uh, before it even comes out, like review bombed it. I want to say that they review bombed it. Um, Yeah. I mean, even now if you go on Amazon, there's a bunch of one star reviews. Yeah. And you know, naturally there's a feedback loop. So there's a bunch of people who, you know, without having read it, also tried to defend it. I'm I'm not gonna say that that's necessarily the right approach either, but you know, I I I definitely don't think that crapping on it like that without any other information is something that I respect. I disrespect that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. It was so it was definitely a target for the Gators. Yeah. Yeah, it was something that was all over comics news for a while. Um, so, so it just having such a prominent, uh, just such a prominence within the comics community, like it, it was hard to ignore it. And when it came out, I I wanted to read it for myself, and I, I did end up uh, checking it out and reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier that. Uh, so if we'll go into the the synopses, you mentioned earlier that it's a story about Starfire. It's it's you know it's in a universe where Starfire and the Teen Titans are still around, but they're aged up, and Starfire has a child of her own. They're the adult her, Titans. Or, yeah, the adult Titans. <laughs> you think they call themselves? Uh... The Teen Titans, or even if they're not teens anymore? Uh, you don't think they can be 40-year-old teens? Uh, just because <laughs> you're a child at heart doesn't mean a grown man should call himself a kid. That so would just... open up a lot of very uncomfortable doors, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It It would be, <laughs> it would be very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I would have to call someone. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, so the Titans, uh, you know, whatever they're called now, I don't even really fully remember what they were called at this point. They're probably they just called, called the, the Titans. Yeah. So, I mean, the funny thing is, as an aside, the funny thing is, um, with the amount of years that are passed in comics, if you don't include the the crises or the retcons, they'd probably be that old. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably actual age at this point, maybe even a little younger. I mean, they were created in what, like the seventies, though. Oh, yeah. At least the original Teen Titans, and then and then when uh, Cyborg and Starfire and Beast Boy were introduced, that was the early eighties. Okay. Okay. So, 
Um, yeah. Uh, so the story, but the story isn't really about the Titans, and it's not really about Starfire even. It's about her daughter growing up in the shadow of the, her beloved and world famous mother. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, like in most cases, as a teenager, she she's rebellious you know and you would think that because her mother's a superhero that she would have as much awe and reverence for her as the rest of the world does but if anything she has more uh she has disdain for her mother yeah she has disdain for her mother she has disdain for the lifestyle that she lives she has disdain for the fact that everybody loves her you know she's Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it. It's just, I it, it it's just the story about someone trying to figure out their identity in the shadow of a mother who you just can't possibly compete with mm-hmm. in real life, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think those would be very, very real feelings, uh, understandable feelings at that. Uh, you know, just being a normal person growing up with a parent that you're either constantly being compared to or that you constantly fail feel like you're failing to live up to yeah Um, especially as a teenager like you just come to a point where as you're beginning to figure yourself out like you know whether you like it or not sometimes these these feelings bubble up and you're just not necessarily in a emotionally mature enough place to address it in a reasonable way, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the content that, that made that that's, that's the brief spoiler free version of the synopses. Um, I don't know. Is there anything that you wanted to include? Uh, any story points? Um, well, um, okay. I will oh, include that. Um, so even though, so, uh, in, so emotionally, that's what she's dealing with. But while she's in high school and uh, the story also takes place with her in high school, dealing with her friends, dealing with her crushes. But while all this is going on, there's also a mysterious figure following her around. And, you know, it's about how all those elements will ultimately culminate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of the artwork? Uh, I I personally like it. I I enjoy. I watch a lot of cartoons, so I'm into that sort of cutesy look of things. Sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah, it's stylish. It's uh, it does something to you know lift the mood. Makes me yeah. I I enjoy the color palette. It's it's pretty bright. It's very bright. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's vibrant for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I do... Yeah, I, I enjoyed the art. Uh, I I think there are times where maybe I wish that the line work had been a little thicker, uh, you know. Mm. But other than that, it, it's not something where I over... It overwhelmingly made me want wish that they had done the, the, the art in a different way or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely got an animated kind of vibe to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like Yoshitani's artwork. I I read one of her other books last year. 
she uh-huh. did uh, another book for DC. Uh, this it, I forget the exact title, but it was a Zatanna story for their for DC's young readers line. So not uh-huh. not the YA line, but the the age group below that. So I guess it, it'd be like elementary or middle schoolers. Uh-huh. She did a Zatanna story uh, for for that line, and I, yeah, I liked her art in that one too. Definitely, she has a great sense of panel to panel storytelling, and her designs are well done. Like I, I would say that in I Am Not Starfire, because it's centered around teenagers. It, it, I don't know anything about how teenagers dress today, but it felt like teenagers that she drew looked like teenagers. You know, sometimes you read a comic and I don't know. It maybe maybe uh, if if it's like an older dude drawing teenage characters, sometimes they just look weird. Like I always think back to something like Ultimate Spider-Man when Mark Bagley was drawing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and if you pay attention to uh, how he drew his teenagers, like he was drawing Ultimate Spider-Man in like I don't know around like 2001 to I don't know like 2000 nine or something i forget exactly what years but you know in throughout the 2000s he was he was drawing the book and every time he would draw peter parker in school it always felt like his image of teenage fashion kind of stopped in the mid 90s so they, yeah. they definitely everyone it, it had like funny. baggy jeans and t-shirts yeah yeah exactly it was, they, they looked like it was sort of generic and yeah it, it looked like stuff that kids that we that people our age wore when we were in high school but yeah. he was drawing it like a generation later, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, that's not a problem that Yoshitani has in in this comic. Her kids actually look like kids to me. Okay, okay. And I I also liked the story too, and and things that it dealt with. It's it's a nice coming of age kind of story. I I don't know if it's uh something that. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm not the target audience for this book, so mm-hmm. there are going to be things in it that don't necessarily uh, resonate with me the way that I think that it they would resonate with the target audience, which is young adults, you know, teenagers who are who are interested in comics. I th- I feel like again, this is just me imagining what it's like to have a mind of a teenager because I don't. I'm so old. I don't know what teenagers are into now, but it 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 feels like this is a book that teens could get into. You know, especially if you're like right before high school, probably. I think um, just because it it's got that message of finding your identity. You know, like all the stuff that you mentioned about her relationship with her mother and how she deals with being in her mother's shadow. Mm. Maybe not everybody has a famous mother, but I think the the concept that does resonate is just trying to f- find your place in this world. You know, mm-hmm. that's something that any I think any young person uh, can identify with. You know, that there's this element of of teen drama. There's a lot of stuff about yeah. friendship uh, between Mandy and and not only her best friend but also uh, her crush and the other kids at her school. There's uh, a lot of subplots dealing with learning how to trust people 
you know, kind of opening yourself up to be vulnerable to somebody in order to to get closer to somebody. You know, you can't always play the sarcastic or cynical type to keep people at arm's length. So, yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's definitely a lot of uh, sensible messaging in this in this story. Uh, I think the one thing in, in terms of, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, the one thing that I thought was really strange is is that even though the art is so kind of youth oriented and the story is great for for teens, there's a surprisingly high amount of f words in this comic, and yeah, it's not like I'm opposed to using the f word in a comic, but I think the strange part to me is that it's a comic that's marketed towards a YA audience. And again, I don't read YA novels. So for all I know, Harry Potter and the Hunger Games throw around the F word every other page. So maybe, maybe it is. It probably would have made Harry Potter more entertaining if he dropped an F bomb every once in a while. Oh, so you're saying he doesn't? Not that I can remember. Okay. But you know, if he told Voldemort to go F off, I probably would have been more interested. I don't know who Voldemort is, but uh, <laughs> that that does sound funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's where it's kind of a a gray area. Uh, in that, I get it. Where if you're gonna write a YA book, you don't necessarily want to write something that necessarily influences teenagers to to be worse yeah, or you I know that, i know that teenagers say the f word man i i shoot okay, i used to work okay, at an good. elementary school and i've heard little <laughs> kids say the f word okay, so it's, great, it's not great, like great. they don't know these words but yeah. i'm just thinking from the perspective of if i were a parent who wanted to buy my kid uh, a comic you know like yeah. if they were a certain age I, was, I still wouldn't want to expose them to it you know and yeah. and the strange thing is is that even though this comic is aimed at the YA audience, Batman comics that are aimed at adults don't have the they F word because they're not allowed to swear. Yeah, it's it's a pretty bizarre like set of circumstances that allow them <laughs> to set themselves up that way. Yeah. Um, it's I guess it's a loophole. But then you could argue that since the loophole exists Maybe they were like, are you saying that this is our chance to drop the F-bomb? Let's just do it <laughs> every chance we get. <laughs> It'll show that we're edgier than any Batman comic where Bane breaks his back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bane might have broken Batman's back, but was he able to say the F-word? No. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing that I would point out is is that yeah, maybe it's realistic that teenagers say the F word, but on the other hand, having so many swear words in a YA comic does kind of make it feel like they're trying to be edgy. So, I don't know. It's a fine line to walk because on on one hand, you can try to aim for realistic dialogue, but on the other hand, if... if uh, it, on the other hand, it could make the story seem like it's just trying too hard to be yeah. adult, you know? Like, it's trying too hard to be 
to be yeah. whatever you call edgy or uh you know just more mature because of the language when yeah. in in fact the the story itself doesn't really require the f word like if they took out the swears and just replaced them with like you know other other words or or you know just other ways to express the, themselves I don't actually think that the story would lose too much if it would lose anything. Yeah. Like there I, I there there are that. certain stories where I think when you have the ability to use uh profanity it it doesn't make sense to take it out like if we were to read a Hellblazer comic right and you you, you said that John Constantine couldn't say the f word or or bollocks or whatever that would just be weird man like I it 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 is kind of part of his character and it it adds flavoring to to those stories but in a story like this that's very uh, uh teen oriented and and youth oriented really and kind of more of an inspirational kind of story it it does seem at odds at time like a, there's like a almost a dissonant tone yeah yeah i don't disagree with that i don't yeah yeah. Um, overall i liked it though man I, I definitely enjoyed it yeah i will say that there are also other themes or other things and touches that are worth mentioning um like i mentioned that the way that she was designed like her look was, was meant to be very realistic or mandy? you know yeah mandy right sorry yeah. And I do think that that's that was a good touch. Um, that that was one of the things that was such a uh, uh, what's the word? Just it was such a, a it was something that the the detractors focused on because they they wanted to hate the book because she looked like all of the people that they hated in in real life you know but <laughs> no like i i think a lot of the arguments that people who are against uh you know toys or comics that look like real people like i'm not saying that people shouldn't be healthy or or that there isn't a, a road too far for something like body positivity but you know a decent self-image something realistic isn't a bad thing and i i just I, I shudder to think of the idea of, you know, people raising their kids only to shame them like that. You know, like, that's not good for anyone, you know? Mm -hmm. Just. So, I do. Yeah, I mean, even if you go on uh, Amazon right now and you look at all the one-star reviews, that they they definitely, yeah. it's it's like a bunch of vitriol directed at, at this character and uh just the concept of her and not only her yeah. personality but just how she, how they they drew her yeah it wasn't even a thing where again the book hadn't even come out yet so it wasn't like the very first image of her was like her wiping her butt on superman's cape or something like that as, <laughs> you know as a way to thumb her nose at fans it really was nothing you know it was just they hated the idea that someone like this could exist in their pure comic book world. And it's just like, 
it yeah it's it's pretty gross like when i think about the people that are fans of like j scott campbell or fans of uh you know jim lee or frank uh frank cho or uh jim balen or something like that like it you know what if that's what you like if that's how you like your women that's fine if that's how you like the the comics that you like to look at that's fine like i'm not gonna say but we have had so many years of those kinds of comics though they exist no one's taking that away from you you know mm-hmm. and i think it's fair to say that you can still buy those comics out there like and like frank cho still gets work you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh you know it's 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 like they want to have a complete monopoly on 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 just the aesthetic of comics and even conceding a little bit of ground would be too much for them and it's just yeah they just need to shut the hell up (laughs) 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 that's all it is man it's like (sighs) it's it's just a comic it's not a big deal you can still get your whatever you want wherever you want it's just get over it you know you know Mm -hmm. it just I hate that you exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it it's it's just people out there who who look at the cover of the comic of this comic or maybe all they know is uh the premise or what everybody else is saying about it and it, it's just to them it, it's like DC is trying to be woke so that comic obviously sucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And having not even read it it's it's there's no grounds for them to to really stand on other than that and they're such cowards that they won't even read it to confirm it you know yeah exactly even if they did read it i'm sure that they would convince themselves that it's the most egregious comic that's ever been made Mm -hmm. you know because just because and that's just super stupid to me. That's super stupid. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people can't handle that these comics aren't aimed at them. They think that comics have to be, like, everything that's made has to be for them and according to their personal tastes and yeah, aesthetics. Exactly. So. For because they're the superhero. only ones that matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for a when superhero comic reality, to come out looking like this, they don't matter. They they don't matter at all. <laughs> Those people don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was definitely something I remember hearing about bef- when the when this title was announced before it even came out. Uh, you know, just all the vitriol. And the the hate that was getting directed at Marco Tamaki and Yoshi Yoshitani, yeah. they made it so, personal. They went after her personally. And it oh was yeah, just like, I mean that's that's what comic skaters do, man. Like, yeah. You know, if you if a creator's on Twitter or whatever, you know, you're just they're just kind of targets for for that. Um. But yeah, I was gonna say that that uh, hearing all of that 
definitely made me more interested in reading the comic. Mm. So I, I really wanted to, to find out for myself. I mean, I, I would yeah. have read it anyway, just because yeah. I've been reading a bunch of DC's YA books and kids comics. For some reason, I find them more intriguing than a lot of the mainstream superhero stuff that they publish on the racks nowadays. Just like, I don't know. You're, just... you're not interested in Joker War? No. <laughs> I I think they came out with a new one. I, I don't even remember what it was, but uh yeah. <laughs> like I, I gotta look this up because it made me laugh. Uh but anyways, continue. Yeah. Uh, I was just interested in, in it too because again, I'd already seen the artist's previous work and I've read some of Mariko Tamaki's other stuff. She's not someone I would say is one of my favorite writers or anything, but She's someone that these past few years, her profile's obviously been been rising, mm-hmm. and I would I would just give her stuff a chance, you know, just to to read. And and so far, I, I wouldn't say that there's any one work that she's done that has blown me away or even resonated with me particularly strongly. But I will say that most of the stuff, well, of all all the things of hers that I've read that I have read have been entertaining at the very least, you know, like they're yeah. they're entertaining. The the tones of her, uh, even looking at her her mainstream superhero stuff for the big two, the tones of of those stories are still a little bit left of center of what's typically the mainstream norm, you know. And I, I yeah. find that more interesting than just reading the same old recycled crap over and over. Yeah, yeah, like I. I'd even say, you know, I'll acknowledge that it's not the perfect comic, but it's, I commend it for its effort, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah, in terms of tone, I think I'm more appreciative, like you, I'm more appreciative of it than a lot of things that do come out uh, as part of just their regular, um, you know, just their regular wave of mediocre comics that we're constantly well, you're not, seeing you you weren't you weren't hyped up about future state uh no no mostly because it was something that spun out of adan didio uh kernel of an idea and he's terrible oh did it i didn't realize that wait was future state was that the the final outcome of his 5g idea I think it started out as 5G, but then when they got rid of him, they decided to scrap 5G, but they took remaining elements of that and turned it into Future State. Oh, okay, okay. So even though it's not directly his, it's still not, it's still close enough to his that I don't really care. <laughs> that's that's fair, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about Dan DiDio. He's, He's he is pretty bad. terrible and... I wish he had never gotten into comics. <laughs> but at least he never pretended to be an Asian man. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Can't get around that. Sabluski <laughs> sama has brought great dishonor upon his name and his house. <laughs> oh, Sibisama! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you bring great dishonor. Oh man, why CB? Why? 
And on top of that, his comics sucked. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe he's still editor-in-chief at Marvel. Yeah, and I don't think he's really done much of anything to really change any of that in recent years. Like, I don't know. This is a bit of a tangent, but in terms of what he's done over at Marvel in recent years, like, I don't feel like he's really done anything to change the the comics landscape over there substantially. It doesn't feel like he's done anything as editor-in-chief that anybody else could not have done themselves. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what specific accomplishments you could point to in order to highlight CB Sama's tenure so far. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that we can tell you about him is that he pretended to be an Asian man <laughs> and he claimed credit for work as an Asian man. That that's that's probably his uh his claim to fame at this point. I I can't really think of anything like a work that he's done. Maybe you could say that was he involved in getting Hickman back to to the X Men? Uh, or not back, but on the X Men. I X-Men? guess. I guess so. That might be the best thing he did if you if you're gonna be generous about it. Yeah, but then anybody could have told Jonathan Hickman to come back. You know, and anybody anybody could have offered him money. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Anybody. Yeah. Who had who was in that position could have been like, you know what we need? We need to bring back a good writer. We have got to bring back Hickman. Let's pay him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you've uh, you've you've convinced me. He's not that special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, he might, I don't know, he's, he's, I, I guess you could say he didn't completely ruin the ship or anything. He, wh- who's that other editor? Was that Jamis who, who just sunk Marvel Comics all those years ago? I don't I wouldn't say Bill Jamis sunk Marvel Comics. Who's, who's the, are you thinking of Bob who's Harris? the editor? I think I'm thinking of Bob Harris, yeah. Yeah, Bob Harris is pretty bad. He, like, pretty much everywhere he's been... That company has gone down. Yeah, so CB Subuski-sama is still better than Bob Harris. But at least Bob <laughs> Harris never pretended to be an Asian man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it always comes exactly. back to that. It really does. It, it really always does. goes back to Akira Yoshida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So do you want to get into it? into the part where we discuss what the what some of the connective uh tissue between these two comics are for for those of our listeners who are kind of wondering or struggling to see how we could do these two reviews and how we'd be able to tie them together yeah i'm i'm ready man uh yeah start us off yeah so it all really started with a conversation that me and Drew had uh, prior to this, where we were looking, where we were trying to figure out our way into Ryoko, Ryoko, whatever, um, and re- whatever, and we were trying to, we were <laughs> you struggling have so much to, disdain for it that you don't even care that you're. It's how not to pronounce worth the... my energy. It's really not <laughs> worth my energy to correct myself on it. <laughs> But anyways, we were struggling to understand or try to come up with something uh, 
some way, some 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 kind of substantive conversation that we can have surrounding this book. And I I remember looking at the Instagram feed and seeing that uh, Drew had read I Am Not Starfire and thinking, oh, that's that's pretty interesting. We could do Starfire. We could do maybe we could do a review on that instead, seeing as how we both read it. But I felt again, I felt like it would be wasted effort since we both already read some of Ryoku. And one of the thoughts that occurred to me on a very like superficial level is that it's interesting looking at these two books because the 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 most obvious thing at the beginning of it is that they're both um they're both books with female protagonist protagonist at at as the focal point of the story and but the thing that I thought was interesting was just how different they were being a, a, a comic, a manga written by a man telling a story from a female's perspective and then having this, uh, then having I Am Not Starfire, which is a comic written by a woman from a female's perspective, from a female's perspective. Uh, say that again? Written and drawn by a woman. Written and drawn by a woman from a yeah from a from a female's perspective, and it's kind of an interesting exercise to compare those two things and just how different they are and what it says about how uh, writers channel uh, what it says about what they channel within themselves when they write these characters. I'm not necessarily the kind of person who says that. Uh, there are certain things that people shouldn't write just because of their life experiences. I, I think if you have the capacity to write a story um, from a different perspective that isn't necessarily your own, as long as it's respectful and as long as uh, you know the homework is done to to try to make it seem as authentic and realistic as possible, like that's fine. You know, like the, we we lose a lot of stories if we told people hey you can't write that because you're not you don't come from that perspective right so right. i do think um and if i had to really say like even in the cases where you have embarrassing failures like you can't have those unless yeah you can't have the good things without the bad things right mm -hmm. so so yeah i don't personally believe that there are things that other people shouldn't write I, I don't think you should pretend to be an asian person and write those stories <laughs> yeah. but you know but if cb sabluski had wanted to write about asians like by all means and if it had been good i would have been like fine but it wasn't good so i'm gonna rail him on it <laughs> you yeah know? yeah exactly yeah it wasn't good and the fact that he tried to cover it up by claiming his name was Akira Yoshida, then no, I'm not a fan of any of that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, um, just comparing these two things, it's it's pretty interesting to look at. Um, I'd say that what who's the creator of Ry Ryoku? Ryoko is created by Eldo Yoshimizu. Yeah, so Eldo Yoshimizu. Uh, when I described it earlier, like I really do think it's a book that is 
really that simple. It's really... It's him doing his... You know, his fantasy of what the perfect woman is like. And it's a very, like, masculine perspective on it, right? I was telling Drew that when I was looking at the book, uh, I couldn't help but compare it to something like James Bond or Jason Bourne or any of those super spy sort of stories where you just have this one protagonist who's just kind of the perfect alpha character who just does everything perfectly, you know? They fight. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the perfect fighting and killing machine. They just exude sex appeal. Uh, you know, every... Again, this is him writing a woman, but, like, every man wants to be with her, every woman wants to be her, that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's it's almost like he could have been writing a man, except he just applied those characteristics to a woman, you know? Sure, sure. And and a lot of the times when we do the discussion where we talk about, you know, inclusivity and, you know, writing more women characters, I remember this old uh, interview that uh, you read or that you sent to me, Drew, where uh, this, I forget the specific details, but essentially the person who was writing about it was saying that a lot of times when... Uh, we do see like female characters in comics written by men. They're really just men. They're really just women who act like men is, is basically the thing. Yeah. There is an element of that, which is, you know, there, there's something to that where it's like, Oh, okay. Um, There's, there's an element of inclusivity to it where it's, it's like, Oh yeah. A woman can act like a man too, but and and you know and i say this not having not being a woman and not necessarily having a full perspective on what a woman thinks but you know there's something to be said about the idea that as a man reading that that's fine that makes sense right but that that might not be something that necessarily rings true to uh you know to women audiences mm-hmm. you know and yeah and i think for the longest time there were there are certain things that I read where I just didn't necessarily feel like it resonated with me. Uh, hmm. You know, like what? Uh, like I think about something like G. Willow Wilson, right? Like I, uh-huh. I still don't necessarily like her comics. Yeah. But I, I stop and I think about that sometimes, and I'm, I, I do wonder if, if maybe it's something where, from a woman's perspective, that's the kind of story that resonates with female audiences right maybe it's told in a way or from a perspective that they feel rings true to them even Mm -hmm. though to me it's kind of baffling or um it's not ham-fisted exactly right yeah so yeah it it makes me think Um, yeah i think that's fair i mean there there's also uh, I think she also has plenty of men who follow her writing too, though. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why it's interesting to look at something like Mariko Tamaki and um, I Am Not Starfire as well. Because uh, mm-hmm. she's not G. Willow Wilson, for one. And I can yeah. definitely read her comics. Yeah, I definitely sure. enjoy Mariko Tamaki comics more than G. Willow Wilson comics. Yeah, yeah. And... 
it's interesting to see like what elements she focused on in approaching her character right mm-hmm. so it it's it wasn't so much about the power fantasy of being so capable and so whatever like so um desired and perfect if anything it's something that leaned into the idea of the imperfections of the characters and it, it leaned into the ideas of uh building these relationships and uh you know just the the people in her life mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i i i thought there was a lot of uh thematic content to mine from that and just a lot of things that we could think about just by comparing these two. Yeah. Do you have any ideas? I th- I think one of the elements of uh, Ryuko that you mentioned about how the main character is essentially like you, you could probably almost tell the same story and, and make her a man and it wouldn't really have changed too much. Right. Probably. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. there, I mean, there are some elements where it's very specific that she is a woman because it, it's about her uh, relationship with her her parents also because she was the daughter who ended up killing her own father and spends most of the story trying to track down her mother because her mother was... she Ryuko thinks that her mother was taken captive by some Chinese gang i believe it was a chinese gang and Mm -hmm. uh for whatever reason i guess it's always there's something in the backstory that explains that uh there's always a woman who's who's leading that gang and uh the woman i guess kills her father in order to i think it's part of the test of the gang it's part of the test of the gang which is the the initiation ritual is that you have to kill i'm not sure it was specific to the father but you have to kill someone in your family like basically just to prove that well i don't know even know if it's to prove anything I, I i think it's just part of the initiation yeah yeah so there there's that element of it so her her relationship to her parents is specifically as a daughter as opposed to a son i don't know if changing that would have made much of a difference in terms of how we would read the text but uh you know i i I acknowledge the lip service given to to make uh ryuko specifically a female lead Mm. but there's a lot of other stuff that like for the most part like all the stuff that that goes on it, it doesn't really seem like it matters that that she's a woman it it's not something that really defines mm. her or what the story is about mm. Mm. so it, it yeah it it almost feels like it <laughs> i guess i would say it, it feels like yoshimizu just had this cool character that he designed so he came up with a story to feature her doing a bunch of crazy action stuff yeah i mean that's basically what i feel the story was yeah it, it doesn't feel like there's anything in it that that speaks to 
how he views women in society or even women specifically in the microcosm of the yakuza yeah if i had to be if i had to really say like i i i want to say that if there is any sort of a feminist lean to this story it it would completely be incidental to just whatever his own personal beliefs are but i don't think that's what the point of the story is i certainly don't think it's what he was leading yeah. the story with it's 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 not the uh the commentary that he's trying to make you know agreed agreed yeah and yeah. and maybe maybe i'm just ignorant of what the how the yakuza works so so maybe there is something about womanhood and the yakuza in here that i'm i'm just not seeing because of my unfamiliarity with with the yakuza you know i, I i'm i'm definitely uh understanding of that but just based on what i do know and what what i've read in the story it it's as you said it's more of a story that's straightforward action oriented not really a commentary on on womanhood or anything uh i guess not really anything remotely related to any kind of feminist slant yeah yeah it, i feel like and, if we were to attribute any anything like that to the story it would be kind of a reach yeah agreed agreed it's just yeah it, i think the only way to describe it is it just feels like it's a story where the protagonist just happens to, to be a woman you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah she's a she's an action hero yes that's, that's pretty much what it is and then the a bunch of the other characters in in the story are are women also and there's i guess there's a little subplot about how Ryuko doesn't want them to wind up like her because they're you know they're younger than her so she's kind of the I guess the mentor figure or or maybe even almost a mother kind of figure to them and right, she doesn't right. want them to to be sullied the way that she has by murdering her own father yeah but again it, it, I don't think that's necessarily something that's unique to her being a woman because I think if they had made those characters those characters males it it wouldn't really have changed a whole lot because at the end of the day it was about not being in a in a world where you could murder your own parent you know <laughs> regardless of whether you are a, a son or a daughter or it's your father or your mother it, it, it's almost that the, the gender is secondary right right but it also makes me think of other stories where, you know, for the longest time we would see men writing women. And again, this isn't uh, necessarily a, uh, a uh, what's the word? Not critique. What's, uh, it's not a complaint. It's not a criticism of like men writing women, but it's, I, I guess it's just more of an observation where a lot of the times when uh in, in the past like the examples that i think of when men write women it really does feel like they're just writing women as men you know so mm-hmm. uh the one example that i think of is jenny sparks in the authority you know and mm-hmm. she's not uh, so i could see how there's a way where if you if you tried to lean into uh you know traditional 
feminine tropes or storytelling it, it becomes a stereotype or whatever and I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want that but I I would be interested to see what I guess I'd be curious to see what Jenny Sparks would have looked like if a woman had created her like or even the authority and just how that team would have been right like we we talked about this when we were driving like when Warren Ellis wrote the authority like they weren't really friends like the the friendship element of the 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 team was really non-existent almost they were really just more like compatriots and and on mm-hmm. the occasions where you would see them bond it was this very you mean specifically the the female characters yeah well really all of them all the entire team uh-huh but uh you know you you can't help but notice that you know a large portion of the team is women right mm-hmm. but it just feels like so much of their interactions are very it's all very like centered around like this really masculine energy of just we fight together we stand together we die together that sort of thing right mm-hmm. and i don't know i i i don't know that that necessarily rings true for for how I guess how a, a a woman would behave, or you know, I so I'm curious to see what that would have looked like. Um, I, yeah, that so, certainly would have been different. I mean, Warren Ellis, yeah. he he obviously really loved women, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Some might say he loved women a little too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know if Leather- that give. I wouldn't say that gives him his his uh his his uh sexual promiscuity and his his uh the things that he did. I wouldn't those they they would probably if anything they probably uh strip away his credibility as somebody who yeah who who writes women uh from an honest perspective. It yeah it it, it kind of knowing what we know about him kind of casts a shadow over uh yeah how we interpret his writing i think it exactly it's, yeah it it is interesting to think about though because if if we ignore who he was as a person and, and just uh look at the authority and jenny sparks and the engineer and the swift and what they're like they're yeah i mean jenny sparks is essentially like a female Constantine, She's a feminist icon or something like that, right? Where we she, could be like, go ahead. No, I, I was, I was just saying that. Yeah, she's, she just reminds me of like a, a female John Constantine. That's, like, that's exactly. pretty much the way that she carries herself. Another example that I was thinking of, and this might be more relevant to the conversation because it, his, the creator, wasn't a creep, <laughs> <laughs> but. Alias by Brian Michael Bendis is another example yeah. of a man writing a woman. And, you know, um, Jessica Jones is very much acts like a dude in that. Basically just a hard drinking, hard fighting, uh, you know. Private eye. Woman who, 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 who like just acts like, you know, who, who takes on traditionally male characteristics in her behavior. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, and I, I now that I think about it, that interview I think we were that you sent me was about Alias. Um, 
I wish I could remember in greater detail. Uh, I wish uh, I could remember this article that I sent you. <laughs> when yeah, was this? Yeah. Was this a while ago? This was a while ago, but I just, I thought it was, it's definitely something worth uh, pondering when we take into account, like, how we read comics, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, as as a man for the longest time, it, the the way that I looked at comics, and, and I'm not saying that I don't still feel this way to some degree, but it's, yeah, like, I, I'm fine with the idea of inclusivity. I, I, I think it's a good thing and to, to be like, oh, okay, we want more inclusivity. Uh, so it'd be good to have more women characters, right? And, and I'm mm-hmm. behind that. But I think there's an evolution that takes place there where at some point I, I as a reader, have to acknowledge that, well, not everything... I mean, we just talked about this. Not everything is necessarily for me. Not everything yeah. is necessarily uh, uh, written in stone how people behave, right? Yeah. So it, I, I think the thing that makes uh, perspectives that I don't necessarily understand or that don't necessarily come as instinct to me is being is the writer's ability to communicate those in a way that does explain it to me or that I can relate to, even if those are feelings that are feelings or ideas that might be foreign to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, so it's the idea of, okay, if, if this is again, straw man, right. But if this is how, uh this is what we consider traditional women behaviors and how that's communicated communicated in comics um then yeah i'd i'd want to see that as a extension of uh of real life and as uh you know it it's part of what makes it authentic right so it's the belief that okay i have to believe that this is these are behaviors and uh, actions that are real that real mm-hmm. people would 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 behave uh ways that real people would behave and act um yeah but, i but think yeah. that might be one of the things that makes it hard to read that kind of uh i think that's what the thing that makes it hard to use a feminist lens to to analyze something like Ryuko because she doesn't act, she doesn't necessarily act like a woman. She just acts like an action hero. And that's pretty yeah. generic, you know, like it, it's, it's really just, you know, somebody riding a motorcycle up a bunch of stairs up a skyscraper while shooting guns. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> and, and that, that's not really something anybody can do <laughs> regardless of whether you're a man or woman, right? It, it's just, it's yeah. an action hero thing that, you know, real people don't charge charge buildings on on motorcycles firing guns akimbo it's it's just i don't know it's it's fiction that's that's all it really is yeah yeah totally totally but i think looking at something like uh i am not starfire even though there there is that superheroic element to it there's also 
a very real sense of emotional grounding, you know, like the yeah, Mandy's entire life as a normal kid that that's even though she lives in a world where superpowers exist, the way that she's depicted relating to that world and the way that she's depicted relating to her superhero mother that that feels that actually does feel emotionally honest because of the the writing i was i think mariko tamaki sold me on her on mandy's um outlook on life because of the experiences that she had as she grew up as a child and you know up to the point where she's now about to graduate high school that feels yeah like a like a real person you know like you could strip away the the superhero elements yeah i i would still be left with somebody who uh, a teenager who doesn't care for established uh, authority figures, particularly her yeah. parental figure, and and that's that's a real thing that I think is common to a lot of people. And when you yeah. look at her from, uh, you know, just as a female character, that that's another big element in in a high school uh, story because. You know, you're 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 thinking about all sorts of stuff that teenagers are concerned about, like uh, fitting in or or finding mm-hmm. finding out what your crush thinks of you. Um, yeah, and, yeah, maybe those are things that that uh, teenage boys also go through. But I I felt like uh, the amount of thought and amount of depth that was put into Mandy character. Yeah. It it made it feel it made her feel more realistic and and believable in context, yeah. you know, as a as a teenage girl. There's a bunch of different layers to it. Um I remember like it's not just the fact that she's this insecure teenager. Like it's not just that that one element of the story that we're following in I Am Not Starfire. Like one of the interpretations that I remember uh, watching or, or listening to, because I, I watched quite a few videos on on the topic of I Am Not Starfire. And I remember someone mentioning that Mariko Tamaki, uh, the way that she writes Starfire she treats Starfire almost as an immigrant because she's an alien from another planet. And she treats Mandy as though she's a, like a first generation kid. Uh, She lives in a, she lives in a household where her mom doesn't make normal food and she doesn't necessarily understand uh, human customs like the prom or things like that. And she, uh, you know, coming from an immigrant family, that's something that I recognized and, Mm-hmm. I don't really know Mariko Tamaki's background too much, but I, I, I assume Canadian. That's about all I know. Yeah, but you know, for her to put those that element into the story, that it just adds another layer of realism to it that grounds it even further, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not something that I had instinctually uh, recognized when I read the the book the first time around. Uh, yeah, but I remember listening to another analysis of, of the comic from uh, someone on YouTube and, you know, thinking about uh, the comic and thinking about her relationship with Starfire, her mom, Mandy's relationship with Starfire 
in that context of uh of like a first generation immigrant family like yeah i recognize that i saw that in there you know there were yeah it was definitely part of it uh, it's yeah and and that's another thing where it's like i think if people had gone into it with that context I, I, there's something of value there to walk away from, right? There's something educational about that. So yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because that that wasn't something that crossed my mind at all when I was reading it. But now that you mentioned it, it kind of gives me another way to to recontextualize the story and to to look at it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it from the perspective you just described then there are even more things in the story that I think resonate as being true to the, to that first generation experience, because, you know, that's something I'm personally familiar with. Yeah. And, and seeing that um, in the story, even, even something like Starfire's speech patterns, right? Like she, it's it's kind of funny because Starfire, yeah, Starfire in this comic, she, her speech patterns are like the Starfire in the Teen Titans cartoon. Right. So she's she, she's always adding like her grammar is not perfect. Yeah, like she'll she'll she adds extra definite articles to 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 her sentences and and you know just it's still easy to understand her, but it 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 also gives you the sense that English is not her her native language. Yeah, yeah. But no, but Mandy grew up video in video that I watched. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say in the video I watched, they actually mentioned the same thing because the the video that I watched, she was talking about how, so she did one video initially where she said that they used the the language patterns of the the cartoon Starfire. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that she wasn't really a fan of that, but it wasn't until someone else had sent her like a message on her channel saying that oh if you think about it in the context of like an immigrant family it actually makes a lot more sense oh it makes and, yeah a lot of sense yeah so when you when you mentioned that i was like oh yeah that's that's totally uh uh it, it's so it's a clever way of working that element into the story right yeah yeah that, that's that's really clever it's it's subtle too because it's it's not like it's not like they hammer you over the head with the fact that she's an immigrant you know <laughs> yeah 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 they, exactly everybody knows she's an if alien this was a g willow wilson comic <laughs> yeah it's not a g willow wilson comic she if it was a g willow wilson comic every other sentence would have reminded us that she was an immigrant. yeah <laughs> yeah over here it's it's just done in this subtle way through her dialogue like I, i'm flipping yeah. through the comic again and even in the first scene when you have the very first scene of the book when starfire comes back home and sees mandy Starfire asks her daughter if she's making dinner and she says, are you making the spaghetti and hot dogs? Yeah. And yeah, that, that sentence makes sense. But I think most people would say, are you making spaghetti and hot dogs? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they're in the middle of their, of their dinner, they're eating together. She asks, Starfire asks Mandy, do you have the homework? And Mandy says, yeah. And I think Starfire is obviously asking her daughter, do you have any homework to do tonight? You know? Like so, most people yeah. would say, "Do you have homework?" You wouldn't. Say, most people wouldn't say, "Do you have the homework?" Being that specific, exactly. but you know, she 
being her mother, Mandy obviously still understands what her what what she's saying, you know. So it, it's it's definitely a very subtle little trick. Uh, and when it's not something I I would have thought of on my own, but now that you you mentioned it, it it definitely adds that extra dimension to the work as a whole. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are other yeah. any other elements of of a uh, the female perspective that you mentioned earlier that you would apply to I am not Starfire? Well, what I was going to say was I, so I want to acknowledge that like, you know, clearly I do think if, if a woman wrote a character, you know, wrote a woman character the same way that, you know, Warren Ellis or Brian Michael Bendis wrote their female characters or anyone like that. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that like Mm -hmm. it's it's there's it's you know that's fine but i do think like i said earlier it'd be interesting to see uh what like a genuinely authentic version of uh it'd be interesting to see what they think they're like what they consider like an authentic version of a female character would Mm -hmm. look and sound like right Mm -hmm. and it it reminds me of our one of the things that I was thinking of when I was comparing these two in my mind was it, it reminds me of the the Sailor Moon episode of the podcast we did when we had Chrissy on. And, yeah. um, you know, you know, I, I'm not she doesn't like represent all women or anything like that. But it, it's just what she said about it did uh, about Sailor Moon did jump out at me, which was one of the questions we asked was, you know, what was it about Sailor Moon that like drew your attention? And, you know, and, you know, keep in mind, this was something that she read when she was, you know, in high school, or I I believe she said she was in high school, maybe a little younger, but, uh, you know, she was talking about Sailor Moon, and she was saying that what she really liked about them was just, you know, how pretty they all were, and, like, the friendships they had with each other, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's not necessarily, that, like, I, I can't say that that's, what jenny sparks and the swift and the engineer were like i can't say that that's what jessica jones was like um well <laughs> i guess i guess you could say jessica jones and uh patsy walker did have a pretty friendly relationship with one another in the but, comic yeah right were they was she was hellcat in the comic not in the bendis run Okay, maybe I'm just thinking of uh, Jessica was friends with Carol Danvers, from what I remember. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. You're right. Carol Danvers. So, but they they did have kind of a close relationship, but it was even then it was still kind of a a guy kind of relationship because they were kind of ribbing each other, from what I remember, right? Mm-hmm. Or no? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So. Even even though we see them having like a bond or a friendship, it still it just felt like it was two guys almost where they were just kind of you know putting each other down and kind of ribbing each other. But so you you don't think women tease each other? Oh, uh, maybe not. It it it's hard for me to to vocalize it, but. I don't think they tease each other the way that men tease each other. Yeah. You know, there's there's definitely a way that they do it that I couldn't describe, 
that's definitely different from how men do it to each other when when they talk to one another, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had to say, like, when men talk to each other, it's a little, it's a little more just not cruel, but you know, uh, I guess, I guess they just kind of, it, it's a little meaner. I guess is the only way that I could put it, right? <laughs> you know. So, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't know what women are like in their friendships with other women. I don't, and I wouldn't even say that there isn't a, a form of meanness that exists there. That that that's just a different kind of meanness, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, men. I don't know. Like, when it's good, it's good. But we also have a capacity to talk crap to one another. You know? Yeah, I think so. I I have to meditate on what you said first well, because I haven't here, thought about it as long. Here's here's what I'd say. I I think this is the best way for me to put it. Like I've thought about things that I've said to other guys, and you know, when I say it to other guys, we generally understand it's a joke you know uh-huh. um and that's just how we take it you just kind of brush it off and you just kind of go move move on with it right move on with your life like but i've said similar things to my women friends and it is not taken as a joke <laughs> okay you know? okay now, now i know what you're talking about <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> I it definitely is, know what you're talking about now. It is definitely less funny yeah. when, you know, um, it's it's offensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've definitely apologized to more of my women friends over something I callously said as a joke than I've ever apologized to a guy friend over a joke. Yeah, yeah, you get it, right? <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> Once you gave me the example, man, I now I, I fully understand what you're talking about. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so even even in the relationship of uh, uh, Carol Danvers and Jessica Jones, there's there's a kind of uh, a ribbing that, that exists between the two of them, right? And I don't know if that's true to how women would really act with one another. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's totally fair, man. That is a totally fair observation. <laughs> uh, man, that I felt like that took a long way of like trying to find the perfect route to it, but we finally got there. <laughs> you got there, man. You got there. Thanks. <laughs> uh, uh. You got any other thoughts on it? This one isn't necessarily something that relates to both of the books that we discussed, but one thing I did want to mention about I Am Not Starfire specifically is, uh, I'm, and I'm gonna I'm about to spoil the the ending here. So for for anyone who's listening and doesn't want it spoiled, uh, you know you can tune out and come back after you've read it. But I did think that the one weakness of the book was the ending just because i think the ending is a little bit at odds with the inspirational themes of the story as a whole because the story is all about mandy 
being okay with not being a superhero. And it's about her basically coming to terms with who she is and, and being fine with it. You know, like she's not trying to, to impress her mother or anything. Uh, she spends a lot of the story going out of her way, not to tell her mom that she doesn't want to go to college. You know, she, she just spends, uh, so much time being comfortable in her own skin. But, the the climax of the story involves her learning that she does have powers when she needs it and yeah <laughs> and uh in a way it for whatever reason like her getting those powers it it makes it so that i guess it i don't know if it makes it but her having her powers and and defeating blackfire with her powers brings her closer to starfire and that's basically the thing that helps them kind of repair their relationship and and be on really close terms again so it i don't know it, it kind of feels a little bit of a cheap ending because that that's sort of like too fairy tale you know because if it yeah. if it had been a story where she did not have any powers at all the entire story i, I would have been more interested to see how she could have overcome her differences with her mother but yeah it's like she got her powers and then that makes it uh that gives them this new level of understanding which which if you think about it it's not really how those kind of relationships usually work yeah. out you know like it it's not because i mean kids don't get powers that that's just how it is and i would have been more interested to see to see them work out the the conflicts by just having i guess a real emotional conversation or just something that would have made it so that she didn't she didn't need these powers as a kind of deus ex machina to have this happy ending yeah yeah and it did feel like once once she grew into her powers like all this stuff that she rejected she it did feel like all of a sudden getting the powers made it so that she could embrace the thing mm-hmm. that she was you know resisting this whole time right so so she was kind of wrong the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you could make the argument that that her getting her powers uh, fully lets her come to terms with herself and accept herself. Like, you can make the argument that, that someone who hates the superhero life now has to be a superhero, and she's okay with it because she's okay with herself. I, I guess you could make that argument, but it it still feels a little bit contrary to what we've yeah. built up through most of the entire book. Well, I don't even remember if she, at the end, did she definitively say she wanted to be a superhero? Because I remember that it ended with her wanting to go to Paris and just kind of discover herself or something like that, right? Well, there are these scenes where she's training with her powers at, at titan's tower uh she re- repairs her relationship with her mother she repairs her relationship with her potential girlfriend repairs things with you know just the any any fractured relationships in her life and then at the very end uh she puts on a different goth outfit and her mom's so proud to see her and yeah. they, the titans ask her if she's picked a name 
and she just says, I'm going to stick with the name Mandy for now. And then she yeah. jokes, my full name is Mandy the Destroyer. <laughs> yeah, and then she basically just flies off into the sunset at the very end. So it, it I mean, yeah, I'm sure she, now that she's got the ability to fly, she can go to Paris whenever she wants and, and you know, do what she wants. So it doesn't necessarily, I don't know if it necessarily means that she's embracing that superhero life, but it does feel like least. it negates the the message of personal growth, though. I do yeah. agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think it kills the story. I, I I just think it it's I guess it's it's kind of predictable. Like if you were to pick this book up, you'd kind of that's probably the 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 ending that you would guess would happen, right? Where she would yeah. get powers at the end. Uh, me personally, when when I read a when I read any text, I'm not the kind of person that tries to outwit the text. Like some people try to try to read something or watch a movie and, you know, they're trying to figure out the, the plot as it happens. And I'm sure you've met people where you're watching a movie and then 15 minutes into the sh- into the film, they're going to say, I bet you this is going to happen. And then you watch the movie and then it happens and they're like, I called it, you know, and they pat themselves on the back. Like <laughs> that, that's always been something that got on my nerves. <laughs> that, that's just not that's not how i approach a text i i just take it for what it is man and and i i uh try to analyze it um on its own merits not i don't try to figure out uh you know if i'm smarter than the person who wrote it you don't need a prize for for uh guessing the ending of a book yeah exactly 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 so <laughs> it it's again it it's not an ending that ruins the book or anything I, I still enjoy it, and I would still recommend it. But uh, you know, it, it is something that I guess if I were to to find a, a criticism for the book, that that would be it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of other things that I think we should compliment the book on, or that are worth mentioning feel like we should talk about nightwing's butt oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yoshi yoshitani definitely gives nightwing a really really well-defined butt she made him thick t-h-i-c-c <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, like everybody else looks pretty normal but for some reason <laughs> when you look at nightwing just the amount of contours that he has in his rear end, it's it stands out, man. It it's interesting how much definition she gave him. He's got musculature for days. Yeah. For like there, days. Three hundred and sixty-five yeah. of those a year. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a there's a page, uh look at page eighty. There's a page where at the top of the page there are two panels and you have both Nightwing and Beast Boy uh, with their backs toward the reader. And Nightwing's butt is crazy <laughs> curvy. Like, looking at Beast Boy's butt, it's just a normal flat butt. But Nightwing's yeah. butt, dude, it pops off the page. Yeah, he's got bottle openers there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty funny, man. Like, when I saw that, it, it definitely made me laugh because the whole... Nightwing's butt thing has has been this weird meme on comics Twitter. It's yeah. I don't know why. I don't know how that started, but I've I've seen it around and 
and I guess it must have influenced her art in this comic. It's a nice little funny inside joke, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you definitely. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Intentional. Yeah. Sorry, what'd you say? I said, I'm just looking at this scene of uh, Nightwing right now, uh, and yeah, he, it's... Uh, He's he's quite buttsome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you had to make up a word for it. Uh, cool. You got anything else, Drew? Nope. I think I think I've exhausted all my thoughts on Ryuko for now. Uh, I am not Starfire. Uh, I, I guess I don't really have too much else to say about it, unless you still want to say anything. No, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with the conversation that we had. I think, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'm gonna stick with what you said earlier, which is in terms of Ryuko. I would say if you just want to appreciate the art, that's probably the way to go about it. Um, if you if there's anyone out there who's read it who feels like there's something that that's worth mentioning and there's a perspective or a way of reading it that we're missing out on, feel free to message us on between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our Instagram at between the gutters and uh, you know, DM us, let us know um, in terms of, I am not Starfire. I, uh, I think it's something worth checking out. I, I think it's a, it's a, pretty insightful coming of age story that feels true to uh the anxieties that people have uh, in their you know in their teen years and mm -hmm. yeah i i if you like that sort of teen drama i would recommend that yeah well said well said well, i guess one thing I, I will add is i i definitely don't think ryuko is a terrible comic i'm just saying that i i didn't really like it very much and it's certainly not the worst thing that we read for our podcast because we read the death of superman a few episodes yeah. ago <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly like, there's a distinction between reading a genuinely bad comic and reading a comic that just has a lot of flaws but is still interesting for different reasons you know like yeah Ryuko is, is interesting because of the artwork and because it feels like Yoshimizu is, is still trying to do something. I just can't figure out for the life of me what that something is. I would still be willing to give his other works a chance just to see his, just to see if he's improved as a as a comics storyteller. But as far as Ryuko goes, yeah, it, it's just a little too incomprehensible for me. Yeah. Pretty pictures, yeah. though. All right, so uh, probably probably no episode next week, right? Because you're going to be at Emerald City Comic Con, Albert? That is right. I will be at Emerald City Comic Con. If you happen to be a listener and you're there, feel free to drop by uh, the Beefy Beefy Poo booth. Um, you know, is look us up. Beefy Poo or Beefy Co? Well, I think he changed it recently, so he, he just goes with Beefy Poo now. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, oh, and if it's uh, since it's a uh, Christmas and the holidays are coming up, 
feel free to check out his website. Uh, you know, uh, he's, he's someone that I work closely with and he, he lets, uh, he gets me into a lot of conventions. So, you know, uh, a lot of the content that I get is in large part due to working with him. So, you know, go check out his website, beefypoo.com and, uh, you know, see, see what there is to buy. Well, he's got cool merchandise and some plushes. So, yeah. Nice. Dude, Albert, if, if somebody who's listening to this goes to Emerald City Comic Con and tracks you down and meets you there, will you give that person a comic book? <laughs> uh sure i'll bring something with me to give then i if, if <laughs> someone if message me before we go the first day of of, of emerald city comic-con is december 1st message us on uh between the gutters instagram and if i know that you're coming i will bring you a comic <laughs> for that's sure amazing that's amazing yeah this is, hey this could be a chance for you to get rid of that spawn comic you've been trying to throw away no, I like our fans, so <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's going to be something good. I already know what it is. It's going to be good. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah I've been clearing out my, my library uh, just because, you know, I'm drowning in comics, but uh, I've, I've, had, I've made the decision to just get rid of some things, and I'm, I'm getting rid of some quality things. Because I know I'll have access to them in other formats. So, yeah. Cool, cool. And I think the the week after that, we'll probably do a little dive into some Hawkeye comics. Because the Hawkeye Disney Plus show has come out recently. That's right. And we're going to explore that a little bit. We're going to explore Hawkeye, the character. And, you know, maybe, maybe go over the show a little bit, too. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters signing off. Peace. Bye, guys.